Hello, adventurers. My name's Tyler. And I'm Richard. <laughs> On today's episode, we're discussing the game of Dread that we experienced at Gen Con and how Diceless RPGs can truly change how you play. Welcome to True Strike. Howdy, folks, and welcome back to the show. Diceless RPGs, am I right? Oh, he's right! Yeah. One of the games that we signed up for to play at Gen Con this year was a game of Dread. So if you're unfamiliar with Dread, essentially what you're dealing with here is a role-playing game for going dice for Jenga, uh, or whatever uh, generic black block stacking game that you have. I know there's at least four or five different Jenga-esque games uh so any of those block games and you're using that instead of playing with dice yeah which i know some of you are probably thinking well that doesn't make sense what <laughs> <laughs> this was the first time richard and i had both played dread so we were both thinking going into it okay this sounds interesting we're both bad at jenga so yeah. that feels like a detriment yeah, which maybe it was. <laughs> and and huge thing here, uh, if you if you're interested in playing Dread and you don't want spoilers, um, this is going to be heavily spoiled on Dread and the mechanics therein. Now, to that though, before you click away or you go listen to the newest episode of Tales from the Stinky Dragon or whatever you're listening to <laughs> on your podcatcher. This was a game crafted, a story in, in crafted by our amazing GM for this session, uh, Mike from Monster Game Night. Yeah. He, uh, the Monster Game Night podcast, uh, it is him and his group of friends going through uh, Vampire the Masquerade. And if you're interested in that and checking out that uh, TTRPG, highly recommend checking out their podcast. Uh, anywhere you can find podcast, that is Monster Game Night Podcast. Shout out to them because this was a fantastic first experience of this game of Dread. And hopefully during this podcast, maybe we'll even sell you on it. But like Richard said, if you want to go in, I guess, completely blind to what Dread can be, then yeah, sure, avoid it. Yeah, this when I say spoilers, I don't mean spoilers for the story because this is, you know, like he said, a spoil, uh, a story that Mike created for us that we played through. I'm speaking more of the mechanics of things because... When I went into Dread and you were telling me about Dread, I was like, oh, sounds really cool. So the mechanics of Dread, instead of rolling dice, you're pulling blocks in Jenga. And then you're like, oh, yeah, if you knock over the tower, you're dead. You die. <laughs> yeah, you're just dead. It's game over. And I was like, wait, what? I'm really bad at Jenga. <laughs> that means I'm going to die. <laughs> like, yeah, that's exactly what Everyone that means. Everyone dies. Everyone dies. Yeah. Uh, so spoiler alert, I died. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because, again, not good at Jenga. Uh, but that doesn't mean that it was any less fun, right? So not being good at Jenga shouldn't scare you away from dread. No, um, no, no, no. But, yeah, so that's, like, the biggest thing. So, like I said, I didn't know anything about dread coming into it other than, you know, I was what I was told by you. That is Jenga. Spooky Jenga. Spooky Jenga. Yeah. Murder Jenga. Murder Jenga, if you will. <laughs> It essentially how it works out is that typically in let's say Dungeons and Dragons, you would your dungeon master if you you're like hey I want to I want to I want to get into this window so can I run up this tree and try to backflip through the window 
And they're like, okay, uh, yeah, heck yeah. You know what? Heck yeah, that sounds awesome. Give me an athletics check. And you get a three, and it doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah. Things, other things happen. Or you get a 19, and you're like, absolutely. And he explains how you meticulously, like, you each one of your foot, like, perfectly up this tree. And you flip through the window, and thank God it was unlocked. <laughs> and you're just like, whoosh, right between the double window. And it's amazing and cool. And ah! Uh, in, in this game, in Dread, you would pull a block. Sometimes, multiple blocks, depending on how hard or difficult the situation would be and what's so clever about this game system is that yeah the the tower gets more unstable the more people pull blocks so every decision gets a little heavier on you and like the risk reward is just Woo! It's it's really wee. It's yeah. real cool. And deciding who's going to take action and when they're going to take action. Oh man! So you have people with uh, the delicate hands that are better at pulling blocks than you know the the you know the big mittens hands of myself <laughs> trying to pull multiple blocks. But our group was very very good about that in in the sense of we didn't try to meta it. I don't believe as much as. Sometimes it would just come down to like, ah, I feel like it's my character that would have done this. Oh yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, like it's it, it's not necessarily because the guy to my right was, uh, you know, a certified Jenga master. It's <laughs> I'm I'm gonna go because it was my stupid idea. Yeah, to do it, the stupid it was thing. my idea to do the thing. I'm gonna pull the blocks. And then the if thing. you pull it, you just pray for the next person because you really messed that tower up. <laughs> yeah. And then there's the whole resetting of the tower, too. So when you reset the tower, there's a couple different ways. Uh, we actually spoke with Mike a little bit after the game um, and during the game about how Dread works and how different GMs handle Dread. And then there are some that take different approaches. So as in when somebody knocks down the tower, the tower just gets reset as a default. Or perhaps the tower gets reset with uh, you know blocks that are then pulled by the person who dropped the tower. So when I dropped the tower, when I reset the tower, I didn't just reset the tower and then walk away from it. I reset the tower and then immediately pulled a couple of blocks. Yeah. So now we have a tower that is automatically further along than yep. it was at the beginning of the game. All right. And as as the game continues or players, uh, well, they're, you know, player characters uh, pass on from this life. It, it just that just escalates where now it goes from two blocks pre pulled to maybe five or and it, it gets really like shaky and nerve wracking and and as a group everyone is on edge like you are all like sitting back from the table no one wants to bump the table yeah. and you're like everybody don't breathe i mean me and richard we would go up to take our turns and we would take our lanyards off throw them to the side <laughs> yeah. of the room and like eating stuff with a reckless <laughs> abandon across the room away from the table <laughs> Like everybody move, <laughs> just get away. Don't breathe. I need, I need to concentrate. <laughs> yeah. Which is really, really unique about this game because you, you talk about, you know, a game that's named dread. Right. And then you talk about horror games in general or just high tension games. And I think it can be difficult sometimes to sit around a table and create tension in a normal environment, you know, like, okay, we're, you know, we're playing a game. It's an RPG. We're trying to create tension and we have dice rolls that are going along with it. Something about pulling blocks and the fact that 
you know, I can roll a die under pressure, right? So, oh, you know, yeah. you're, you're telling me, oh, this check is going to be really, really bad. You're, you know, you're going to have to roll over a 16 on this with no bonuses. You know, this is going to be a really hard roll, and I could be feeling that heat, right? But no amount of physical shaking of my hands or sweat from my brow is going to affect the way that I roll this die into a dice tray. Right. Right. It will affect you playing Jenga. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> like you, you're like, okay, uh, I want to try to, you know, I want to try and open up this window and crawl through it and run across the street before any of these zombies see me and attack me. And he's like, okay, go ahead and pull me three blocks oh, because no. there are so many zombies out there that are just waiting to pounce yeah, on you. This is very dangerous move you're doing. However, yeah. and you pull that first block and everything goes great, but you set it down and there's a little bit of a wobble. You pull that second block. It's even worse. And it's just getting to where you can see the tower going left to right. And now, you know, you have to pull one more block and the entire time, you're psyching yourself up for oh, this. Yeah. Everybody at the group is watching you and they're all holding their breath, just waiting to see that if you're going to trip on the curb and faceplant and get eaten or something else unfortunate going to happen to you. The dread is real. Yes. There was this genius thing that Mike would do every time someone was pulling a block. Oh, I'm glad you bring where, this up. Let's say uh, Richard's character is trying to open up an elevator. You know, he's an elevator chef trying to open up an elevator, and he he opens it up, and a zombie lunges, like, from the other side. You know, it happened to be close enough, and it sees the door opening. It lunges towards him in his block to uh, pull up the block to avoid being murdered. <laughs> uh, as he's pulling the block, Mike would describe how the zombie uh, lunged forward and grabbed a hold of his arm, and he was pulling him back and forth. And then as Richard removes the block, maybe, oh, but you manage to pull your arm back just in time and the zombie no longer has a hold of you. And he's still describing the scene as you're placing the block on top. But you've got this like minor victory getting the block out. Yeah. And then the scene's still happening as the block's being placed on top. And then it falls right at the last moment for you. You lay it on top and the tower falls and then... But unfortunately, when you pulled back, you pulled back and you lost your footing and you fell down the shaft of the elevator. And it, that's how you would go. That's how you died. Or if it fell out while you were pulling the block, maybe the you know the zombie grabs a hold of you, bites your neck, and it, it pulls you into the shaft. You know, it, it's it's the moment of the story is actually alive and twisting as you're playing actively, and it's making that pull even more tense. It's infuriating. <laughs> yeah, it <laughs> it's, it's was. So fun. It was very artful game mastering. Yes, and it added so much to this game because it was really it was live. Like it felt like you were there, and the tension was real. And he was creating the tension with every block pull, and it was perfect. Like I said, they like he, you know, it was just it was art. You know, being able to flowingly describe a scene as it's going knowing that at any moment he's going to change the scene yes because you're going to mess it up yeah oh yeah absolutely <laughs> and you're gonna die and that's just just how it is that's that's dread yeah and that is dread and like i said that you you play a lot of horror games or games in this style and it's kind of hard sometimes to capture the tension and this was masterful. Like the tension was there. It was palpable in the air. And it was it was something. 
we we definitely managed to grab a a random group of strangers. And Richard and I knew each other. I don't believe anyone else in the circle. Uh, no, yeah. how many? There were what six of us? There were six players in this game, mm-hmm. and then the game master. outside of the two of us, none of us knew each other, and very quickly we were just part of the same group it was without fail all of us were just role-playing with each other no issues it was and this is this is this speaks very well of gen con itself because this wasn't an isolated event anywhere you went at gen con you could just be walking up to a random game and some 15 year old playing the game would be like oh hey do you want to check what do you do you want to know about this game and you're like hello stranger that is also just demoing this game or you really you want to tell me about this game yeah you have no stakes in and they're like absolutely because this game's awesome let me tell you about it and you're like everyone here is really nice it's uncommon from where i'm from yeah (laughs) why is everyone so nice all the time but in this group we all just got there with the goal to conquer this game to beat the story and you know, I think we we set out to, we accomplished what we set out to do, and we all had a great time doing it. And we made some pretty good friends over the course of these like three hours of this really good game. Yeah, that we played. Yeah. and it's uh, like you said, the people were were super you know super nice. The game master Mike was great. He did uh, he did a great game for us. He got everybody involved. Um, everything was well organized. Everything well played out. We went over on time a little bit, which nobody was sad about. Um, you yeah. know, we even <laughs> no, talked we about were, it. We it. He was like, has anybody got anywhere to be? Do we have time constraints? And we were all like, no, we're all cool. We're just here to have fun. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we were happy to play as long as uh, he would have us at the table. And it was, like I said, a very unique experience. And what Mike had got for us uh, and set up for us was a, you know, a game of dread. So it was horror. So it was suspense, but it was also humorous. So essentially what he had done was come up with a story for us where it wasn't all just tension. There was a little bit of humor in there, too. Oh, for sure. And the balance was perfect. I mean, I had a great time with it. Yeah. I mean, God, I, I didn't even think about it that way. The balance was so good. Because there was never a moment where I wasn't terrified of what could happen. Yeah. But every conversation we had between us players and even with the GM, there was always humor in everything that happened. And, huh, I never actually put that together like that. Yeah. And I guess that's that's another testament to Dread. Because it's it's not even necessarily the story that's putting us on edge, but it's this freaking tower. <laughs> yeah, the, the ever-looming tower. Oh, God. It, God. it was such a good time. But yeah, like I said, uh, this game that he put together was basically a twist on the movie The Hangover. And we all... Uh, we'll give you a very short like synopsis of it, just so you kind of uh, to understand, like the game and what happened and what happened as a result of certain dice or uh, ooh sorry block pools <laughs> no dice no dice uh so you know, with the hanger we all wake up and my character i'm i'm like a 22 year old you know like i don't even want to be at this thing it's like a bachelor party but i wake up and i'm like wearing scrubs and i've got scratches on my face and i'm covered in blood it's not my blood like oh what the heck's going on and like everyone wakes up in these similar situations you had a, a security officer. Yeah, I was wearing a security and... officer's uniform. I had key cards on me that went to things that I didn't know what they were. Right. 
yeah. one of the guys had a monkey. <laughs> yeah, somebody had a monkey and a bag of white powder that he wasn't sure of. Another person had an entire portable welding machine. Yep, and they were just like a clown. <laughs> yeah, another person was just like a clown. Yeah, so it was a, uh, like I said, a play on the hangover, right? So we all woke up uh, after a, a bachelor party, essentially. So our connection was the groom. Not necessarily with each other, um, but we were trying to figure out why we were all there. Mike had us do brief character synopsis yes. uh, to turn into him so that he would better know us and kind of what the world that he was going to build. Right. So basing that on our fears and our characters fears, so that he can play on that. Right. Yeah. So then from there, basically started the game as in, okay, you wake up and you're in, a, you know, a world that is very unfamiliar to you. Instead of having people walking around, it's a bunch of skinless zombies walking around that are all mm-hmm. trying to kill you and then trying to figure out where to go from there. And he did a really good job of building that out and then also listening to us as over planners on how we were going to do <laughs> things. Uh, and I, I believe at one point he even talked to us about like, you know, what we had done and everything like that, which, you know, one of our first challenges was getting from one room and out of the room. Right. So getting out of the room into the hallway would have actually resulted in a block pull from one of us to do certain things. We overplanned that situation into the ground where it was like the <laughs> safest way of doing it. There possible. was a map drawn on the back of a sheet of paper. <laughs> yeah, to the point where he got to that and he was like, you know what? You guys planned this so well that I'm not even going to have a block pull for this yeah. part. Because you just do it. You just do it because everything that you did there was as safe as you could have possibly done it. You didn't do anything incredibly stupid from that point. Now we hadn't, we had already had some block pulls previous to that. Oh yes, <laughs> because we did do some stupid stuff right upon waking up. Um, but you know, as far as getting out of the room, we you know planned it enough to where we didn't even have a block pull, which was really cool. And that was the only time that ever happened. Yeah, exactly. It that just was got the worse only there. time where we had really planned things out. And then from that point, our planning kind of got really, really messy. Um, and it did. It got better. Like it, it had its waveforms, right? So our planning was bad and then good we had a nice high point and then we had a, a mid-range a very low point uh that it resulted in my death uh, <laughs> so the lowest it physically could have gotten the lowest it physically could have gotten uh, i didn't die right away so i it's not like i was out of the game no, like no. right in the beginning or anything like that Probably about the halfway point yeah about halfway through the game um i you know, made a a check basically to try and save everybody uh, in the elevator scene uh, in which I told everybody, uh, you know, how you're supposed to jump right as the elevator is hitting the floor. <laughs> and uh, that block pull didn't quite work out for me. And uh, I didn't make it out of that elevator and subsequently also lost my pants to another player. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i mean my, my pants went oh to a better place yeah <laughs> so canonically I'm okay with... your pants upon death yeah so that was a lot of fun like i said even up to the point where i died and then even after i was out of the game it was still so amusing watching the game i got to reset the tower uh, i got to reset it with a difficulty level now so it wasn't just a normal tower um made it a little bit harder for the next folks coming up and then got to watch the planning unfold i say there was the difficult thing about that was watching some of these plans because i had so much input <laughs> 
on what should happen and what we should do. And I just had to keep my mouth shut and just let you guys do your plan. I believe it did hit a point where my character was so frustrated that I they would, you know, another player would be like, just do this. And I'm like, okay, yeah, whatever. I don't even care anymore. Whatever. <laughs> I'm going to do it. I'm just going to do it. This sounds terrible. Whatever. I'm doing it. I, everyone else is dying. Whatever. If I'm going to die, I'm going to die. I mean, this is probably even, a, it's probably even a dream. This is probably even real. <laughs> and then somehow we lived. <laughs> somehow. Well, we did lose another player. Yes. Yeah. He did lose another the, player. The elevator shaft took two of us. Yeah. The elevator shaft took two casualties. So that, you know, that was something. Um, the murder Like I said, after the elevator, there were some low plans, but then the plans got really good. And they did improve. Uh, yeah, yes. the plans definitely improved. Uh, and we followed through with the story. Um, I think we took the context cues pretty well. Well, I guess I guess you guys took the context cues very well. I still have questions. I want to know, like, I know we got a hint that maybe there's like a helicopter on the roof. Were we supposed to take the helicopter? I don't know. I think we all would have died if we'd have taken the helicopter. There was a monkey at some point that didn't make it that I want to know more about this monkey. <laughs> yeah. No, there was a lot of different avenues. I think that we could have gone. Uh, so I, I have a key. I had, I ended the game with a key that I still don't know what the key went to. Yeah. yeah. I have no idea. Yep. The one moment where I was like, this is my moment. I know where this key goes. I put it into a door and I turned it. It didn't work. <laughs> it didn't work. And one of the uh, unique things about this game, uh, in addition, when it goes back to the mechanics, is that if you feel like you oh. cannot succeed at your task, so it is your turn to come over, you've got to pull three blocks, and you're just looking at that tower is making it weeble wobble, and you know you're not going to be able to do it, you can extend out and just push the tower over. So you can forego your block pull knock the tower down and die and in a blaze of glory sacrifice yourself for the greater good so doing this isn't all for not it's just taking you out of the game yes but whatever task that you're trying to accomplish you succeed at so if you think that you are not going to make it but you need to succeed at this thing you can sacrifice yourself for the greater good which is what our dear tyler ended up doing Oh, so after we get out of the hotel, we made we get into a car and we're driving around. We're trying to find the bachelor. It turns out he popped up on the TV earlier and he's reading out of this book and it's all spooky and we're like weird. But we also had an address and stuff to some other place. We're like, all right, before we go to that TV station to find the guy, let's go check out this other address. We go there. It's being like defended. So we're like, oh man. There's like a other book in there. It's like the opposite color of the book that I was reading through. We got to get in there. So we like come with this like cool plan. We like go through the sewers to go up there. I think I'm about to die because someone has to go like break in and get this book. I, tr I try that key that I mentioned. It doesn't unlock this door. The door is locked. So it gets real crazy right now because I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm at this bookstore. All the zombie people looking the other way. But like, I got to get in and this key doesn't work. So when the other players pops a shot, breaks the glass, I run in, grab the book, and I have to sprint back to the manhole as these zombies run into me. And this is the first moment where I'm like, I might have to push this tower down. Because <laughs> if I die right now... I thought you were going to. If I die right now, they won't have the book they need to succeed. If I sacrifice myself, I can throw them the book. They'll get the book. I'll be dead. And I might be dead regardless. But the the GM and another player like rally me just enough to be like, 
you can do it. <laughs> we believe in you enough that you might be able to make this happen. So I poke a block, so I poke a block, and I find one that has just enough give that I'm like, all right, I'll try. We'll see how this goes. And I managed to get it out, and it's this crazy tense moment, and I managed to get it out, and I get down the manhole, and we're running, and we live, and we get to the car, and we're like, holy crap, this game is so fun <laughs> for these <laughs> moments. But then we get to the end. We find the guy. We go up the stairs. One of the players is reading from the this alternate book that the other guys, and this book's deterring the zombies from attacking us so we can actually get through safely. And basically what we're kind of figuring out is that the book he's reading from, The Bachelor, is turning everybody into this like skinless zombie people. And this is the al- like the alternate to that. And maybe if we can stop him from reading, we can read this on the air and turn it back to normal. You know, spoilers what happens, but that this is our understanding. And we were right. So we go through, one of the players like runs in and like cuts the connection. The other one's still reading from this book, trying to do everything. And then me and this other player are just pushing through. Uh, this like purple like uh, storm essentially is this this like vortex and we're just pushing through pushing through pushing through and then I'm going to attempt with the ceremonial dagger that I got along with the book uh, because one player tried shooting the book and the bullet did nothing and he shot the person and the bullet went right through and the guy kept reading so I'm like all right maybe it's this dagger uh, either one way or another, <laughs> this ain't going to go well, probably. So <laughs> let's go for it. And I'm asked to pull a block. And like Richard said, this is where I meet my demise because these blocks don't seem like they're going to budge. And if I, if I topple it here unintentionally, we might just wipe, we might lose the entire campaign. Or I've got a moment to guarantee victory by throwing away my life, which is what I do. And Richard got to witness it. <laughs> yep, got to witness it. We knew it was going to be a pivotal role too, because like it was, it was a thing. Like it, this was it. This was the final. I actually recorded it because I was like, this pull is going to be crazy. Like stakes are high right now. Didn't know that you were actually going to topple it until you did. <sighs> but yeah, a choice was made. And choice he was made. toppled the tower and allowed the remaining party members to succeed in their task. Yep. The GM describes as I'm able to lunge forward just in time to I could stab through the book, destroying the book, but the bachelor summons the alternate dagger to this one. And he plunges it into me, killing me, of course. I'm dying on the ground. But, you know, the book that I step starts to fall apart, leading to everything, you know, being saved the day, blah, blah, blah. One of our, you know, uh, it, it was really cool. It was one of those, like, you had to be there moments where one of the other players, like, it's like, oh, you know, I, I wish I wish you were my son. And it's this big, <laughs> it's this big moment. Oh, where, huge like, emotional moment. It's this huge thing. And I'm like, it is this, everyone had these cool character arcs in a three hour game of Jenga. <laughs> yeah. Three hour game of Jenga with emotional connections and fear and dread. Yeah. It was so and fun. Humor. It was so cool. Uh, Will, I, you know, if. I guess we'll probably put up that video on our Instagram if anyone wants to check it out. Yeah. If you want to watch me knock over a Jenga knock tower. Knock over a Jenga tower. Uh, feel free. Keep an eye out for that. <laughs> and, yeah, I mean, that was, that was, you know, 
Dread Hangover, I guess. Yeah, Dread Hangover Edition, which uh, don't regret at all. It was super fun. No, that was, out of all the events we booked at Gen Con, that was probably my favorite. It, 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 was, it was just really fun. Not only did we get to play a game that was new to us, but I got to get my tabletop role-playing fix in at Gen Con and meet new people. And like I said, Mike was awesome and everything about it was cool. Like I, I wouldn't mind running a game of Dread one of these days just because that it seems so fun and, and to be on the other side of that would maybe be pretty cool. And there's no screens. There's no, yeah. you're not, there's nothing to hide. You're, you're, you're asking your players to pull dice or pull blocks. You're not pulling anything. You're just the facilitator of the story. Yeah. You're just there to facilitate the story and let it play out. Yeah. It's uh it definitely, this game changed the, my thought process of how I want to approach Gen Con next year because it was so fun that I want to do more of this, right? So I had so much fun with this that I want to play more games. I want to participate in more role-playing sessions with random people, something that I didn't think that I would want to do as much as I do want to do. Flip side of that, it convinced me that I might want to run some games at Gen Con next year. Yeah. Because it it didn't actually seem as daunting of a thing as I'd built it up in my head to run a game for these strangers, just because Mike was so welcoming and, and easy to work with and, and showed us the ropes and got us going so quickly. And I like just watching him made me like think and realize like, Oh, I could do this too. And if I had such a good time, if this one person was able to create really fun, fond memories for these six players at this table and facilitate this really amazing time. What if I could also do that? And I could take some of my time to give six players an amazing time at Gen Con. Even if one game, just six people. That's that would be enough. Like that that's really cool. That's like a warm, fuzzy feeling that I don't have yet <laughs> that I kinda want. I want that warm fuzzy. <laughs> I want feeling. that warm, fuzzy feeling. Yeah. And he gave me a rice krispie treat. And I got ate it when I got home and it was really good. And that has nothing to do with the fact that I'm giving him positive praise because he <laughs> bought me with snacks. However, I must <laughs> I must admit that snacks were involved. Yes. Snacks I have to disclose that. And rice krispie treats are delicious. It's yes. just a fact. <laughs> Ooh man. But yeah, but dread. Lots of fun. Lots of fun indeed. Yeah. Was it mostly fun? Like, would it be as fun if it just used dice? Ooh, that's a really good question. Ah. And I think it goes back to that whole how do you create the tension with dice? And can you create the same amount of tension? Because I, I would chalk this up the counterpart to not necessarily be under dragons, but like uh Cthulhu. Cthulhu horror elements. Now granted maybe different horror elements, but this is, I could easily build this exact same game in Call of Cthulhu. No issue at all. Much more complicated. Not as easy for new players to just jump in and start role-playing and have a good time. Very different game. Yeah. I think accessibility-wise, Dread is very accessible. Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah. But, I don't know, like, if, if you were to play this story from for the first time, same story, You've played Cthulhu, and now you've played Dread. Which would you rather played it in? Ooh, that's a tough one. And I think, honestly, I would play the Dread system. I agree yeah. entirely. And it's just because, like I said, that tension is is really... It comes naturally with Dread. You feel it in the air. Yeah, you, it's, you can really feel it. And like I said, it comes so naturally with that system that I think that it makes it a, a much different experience. Yeah, I agree yeah. entirely. 
So we wanted to go and shout out some other diceless systems just in case maybe, you know, spooky isn't necessarily what you're looking for, but you're wanting to jump into some other other game systems that other than, you know, Pathfinders and Dungeons and Dragons, etc. the Cthulhu's. I was browsing the internet earlier. <laughs> I haven't played this yet. However, for like an $8 PDF, I will be picking this up. There's this fun looking game called Laser Kittens. And in this game, you play as these teeny tiny little kittens learning to control your lasers and growing up to be awesome cats in its story-focused role-playing game. And I was like, that's neat. Uh, tell me more. It looks like you use a deck of cards. You pull out the face cards. So you just you got the numbers. And you're drawing these to build up um, your, your hand, essentially. And... Your there no one is a set like GM. You're all kittens together, but you know one player will be running the scene, and then they're like, yeah, and I'm and then we're gonna go over here, and I'm gonna jump up on the counter, and you're like, you know what? Actually, I think I've got a better idea, and you slide down a card face first, and other players can be like, oh, actually, I want to control the scene here really quick, and then everyone that wants to participate in the bid slides their card face down. And you flip it, and whoever wins the bid, you know, has the higher number, gets to be GM for the next scene and describe how things actually go. And it could be the the GM who's been running the scene. Like, oh no, counter you. I'm I'm I have this perfect story in mind. Don't don't take this away from me. <laughs> but there's also an ability you can fire your lasers and, and they need to rhyme in things that end in like the ooh sounds. You've got like the two 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 or the pew 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 or the few 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 uh laser. And they all do different things. That one of the examples they had listed actually was the two 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 because you're being you're you're being chased by a couple of rats, and you're like, oh, I'm gonna do two 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 because I want to double the distance between us and the rats because they're gaining on us. And I want to double that distance, and you you pull uh, I believe it's like five cards, and if the total number is high enough, yes, you do that, and boo, you use your kitty lasers and you push them back, you know, twice as far. Or if you fail, you, your number's too low, uh, your lasers malfunction, and instead of pushing them back double the distance, you double the rats, and now you're being chased by four rats, and they're just as close. <laughs> and you're like, ah! And I don't know, it's just a wacky zaniness, and that sounds fun. Not to mention that no one is the facilitator of the story entirely. You're all making this as a group, and you're all these adorable little kittens with laser eyes. That just sounds wacky enough and loosey-goosey enough to have some pretty cool, like, off-the-rails fun times. Oh, yeah, no, it sounds like hilarity. And we're talking eight bucks and a deck of cards? Yeah, I know, and that's, like, that's so accessible by so many people. <laughs> yeah, so I, I'm going to be picking this up uh, relatively soon. Yeah, that one looks really, really good. And then upon more research into, you know, other diceless systems, uh, another one that comes up quite a bit is Amber which is actually tied to an existing IP, which is the Chronicles of Amber. So these are multi-book series that are from like the, I think, early to mid-70s, uh, you know, on of these books about a specific fictional universe that was so popular that it got developed into its own diceless RPG system. So unlike Kittens, you do kind of have a game master in Amber. So there is somebody that is running this game. But, uh, you know, like we said, it is a diceless system. So when you're creating your characters, essentially what you're doing is you're using a bid system. So you have a certain number of points, like, say, 100 points, right, that I have to bid on attributes. So 
strength, for example. Um, if we're both bidding on strength and I bid 67 of my attribute points on strength and you only bid 66, I win that bid and I am now the de facto strong one of our group, essentially. So it kind of goes this way for all your different attributes. And then when the game is playing out, if we have any kind of you know contest that involves me and you essentially i will be the de facto winner of that because i bid in on strength and then there's a bunch of other magical powers that you have and other things that are tied to all these different attributes that you use to kind of you know then dictate how things are going to go so like what you're going to be successful at and where you're going so the bid system is very very unique to this game and a system that i've never seen used anywhere else honestly so this is the first time that i've seen it used somewhere and it is very popular like if you look around amber is one of those you know top tier you know games that you'll see when you're looking for these diceless systems now there is a game master and it is probably should be noted that amber in general is a fairly heavy role-playing system so like a lot of these games diceless systems uh they do depend a lot more on your player interaction because innately when you're dealing with a diceless system you're dealing with less statistics right so like all these number systems number crunching it's not like cthulhu where you have <laughs> you know 20 different yeah. attributes most of these systems like amber are relying on a relatively small pool of attributes like may say maybe five or so attributes that you're using and then the game master is making a lot of those major decisions so the game master is going to look at your attributes not require a role from you but instead basing those attributes on what you're asking to do and saying whether or not you're successful and then the only time you're really going to be defaulting to statistics is if you're doing a contest between players so yeah just another very popular diceless system that a lot of people are playing that you know seems to be up there on a lot of the tier lists for diceless games and that's another one that i hadn't heard of until we started looking more into this this topic in these the style of games and that sounds rad. Yeah, it's definitely different, and it's something that I would love to check out. You know, like, I would definitely jump in on a game of that because it sounds right up my alley. I like mm -hmm. role-playing heavy games. Right. And diceless games are not a, uh, you know, a stranger to us. We've actually done it once before. Uh, and that brings us to something we've talked about in the podcast in the past because we've actually used mechanics from this game in our Dungeons & Dragons games and the way mm -hmm. we approach other games. And that's Alice is Missing. One of our favorite. Yeah, which uh, <laughs> was a really cool diceless RPG that we found that we wanted to try out. And, uh, you know, we ran a game of, I ran a game of it. And it was extremely unique. So this is, a, again, another RPG-heavy game. And like I said, if you listen to any of our past episodes, you'll know that we borrowed mechanics from this and used them in other things. Specifically, you borrowed mechanics from this to use in our Dungeons & Dragons um, Curse of Strahd campaign. Yep, we used it for our Session Zero character yeah, our building. our Session Zero character building because the character building in Alice is so unique. And instead of using dice, you are just using your RPG prowess and a deck of cards. Yeah. So we have cards that get played throughout a, a time limit. So this game is under a strict gun of timing. Yes, So very strict. It's you start a soundtrack. Yeah, the core mechanic is the soundtrack of the... The titular missing character Alice so you're listening to Alice's playlist once Alice's playlist is done the game is over so everybody goes into this game knowing this is an expectation of this is the length of this game and this is what we're going to accomplish and then at certain points in the game cards are flipped which then change or advance the story 
the most unique mechanic about Alice is that you don't talk to each other in the room that you're playing in. Oh, this game is all done via text. So you each take your phones and you change your name and your contact information in the messenger app that you all decide to use. And you spend the entire game in character, yep. only texting each other because it's never assumed that you're in the same location. So you're never in the same location talking to each other, which adds an extra level of, you know, existential dread and uh. mystery to everything, which then ends up with everybody in the party thinking that somebody is a murderer. Yeah. That strange might, that that could happen that might necessarily not be a murderer and could be completely innocent maybe the most genuine innocent person in the entire game yeah could be or maybe they're a murderer it, it's actually quite hilarious because we changed our names in messenger for this game specifically and i was searching for a message from tyler uh, to look up something because i wanted to ask him a question about something and in that search I came up with texts that happened during this game <laughs> where he is in a panic trying to get me to talk to him while the entire time I am avoiding talking to him because I think he's trying to kill me. <laughs> and he's just genuinely concerned about my well-being. I just want to make sure you're okay. And I'm like, he's trying to kill me right now. So I got to lie and send him on a wild goose chase. <laughs> So I had a little chuckle when I found this message months later um, about a game that we had that was a completely diceless system, but still a very immersive role-playing experience. So good. Yeah. And like I said, that game, no dice at all. Just a deck of cards and a timer that ticks down. So there is a lot of fun to be had with diceless systems, um, which is, you know, Dread kind of just opened up even more doors because Alice was my first real experience with a diceless system. I loved it. Didn't know that there were more options out there. Something that's interesting that I'm thinking about right now is that these amazing experiences we're having with these diceless systems are like, look at Alice, for example. It, that's not something that translates to another game. It is specially made for this deck of cards and this very specific story with this timer and everything. And it's a diceless game, and it's amazing. Everyone should play Alice is Missing. I legitimately think that it is, it's fantastic, as long as you're in the right group of people and you all are good with each other, you all trust each other, you're open with each other. This game can be so good. Yeah. Dread, we look at that. Would Dread work as well if you were playing as a group of plucky adventurers who met at a bar and were about to go fight some goblins for coin? I don't think it would. I think it would still be fine, I guess. Yeah, I, I can see that you could you can implement Dread in a way to where you're replacing the dice for normal stuff. But the stakes change right because you're all like i'm gonna try and knock this door down and you're like okay we'll roll me in you know an athletics check to see if you can do it versus pull me a couple blocks and then you die <laughs> you're yeah exactly the door. you're gonna have to change the rules because it's like oh no i knocked it over it's like okay well that splinter went straight through your eye into <laughs> yeah. your brain and you're dead so i think that's i guess that's what i'm getting at is you could take dungeons and dragons fifth edition and pretty much be like all right here's the rule set of 5e we're in space fighting aliens. We are humans on Earth, and there's these giant worms in the ground, and we have to fight them. We need to survive. 
we are playing as woodland creatures living amongst the forest queen. <laughs> and you could use 5th edition rule set and make any of those happen. Yeah. No problem. We're, we're in an underwater submarine that's lost power, and we've got to try to like survive. Now, that would work really good in Dread. Oh, yeah. That oh, would my gosh. Dread, yeah. <laughs> but that's the thing. is it's, It is the game incredibly high stakes. Can it be? If so, insert Dread. <laughs> yeah. Whereas 5th edition... D&D could really just be used for anything. What is it designed out the box for fantasy? Yes, so all of your spells and stuff out the box are for fantasy. You could turn that into anything. And you could make this really work for pretty much everything. Whereas Dread, I do not think is as flexible. I say that knowing it's literally Jenga. Yeah. <laughs> but with a with a theatrical spin to it, yeah, it's the, it's that feeling of dread. Yeah, <laughs> that's looming over all of us with every pull of the blocks. So I guess maybe I guess what I'm trying to say is maybe these diceless systems are less flexible and have to be more rigid to work mechanically and still be diceless. Whereas yeah, something with dice, that. you can kind of mold. To you can mold more to things. whatever you need. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Think uh, like the Power by the Apocalypse system. That has so many different variations that all are the D6 dice pool systems. And they all work and they all have their own themes and stuff, but they're all based on dice. Yeah. So maybe that's, maybe that's, I guess, like the divider right there. So if you're going to, you know, make your own diceless game system, that might actually work out pretty well as long as you, you know, angle it in from the beginning towards what you're wanting to accomplish and man there's some really cool you know examples of of them doing this of this being done i mean part of the reason i'm so excited for like candela obscura and and such is because the creator of that the illuminated world system was the creator of alice is missing and yeah. he did that so well, so like, well, yeah. Flipping to maybe this, like you know, this dice system. Like, hey, I'm I'm on board. At this point, you've proven yourself. You, I, whatever you give me, I'm gonna try. Yeah, we're gonna give it a go. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. How do you? How, what do you? What are your thoughts? No, I, I think you're right. I think that dread lends itself to a specific type of game, and that's not a bad thing. I just think that you need to know the strengths and the weaknesses of what you're doing. Because even like you said, being able to mold different systems to be different things doesn't really work. Like Alice is Missing works because of the content and the way that it's presented. Uh, the the theming uh, and the game mechanics of Alice is Missing based around, you know, raiding a goblin camp doesn't work right without going deep into what Alice is missing is meaning and what it's about. So yeah, I think that generally speaking, you know, these diceless mechanics do sometimes need specific focus to work well and to work in the environment that they work in. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I just think that it's, you know, a different way of looking at certain things. And, and sometimes I think you could meld it. Like I think that the Amber system could definitely be used uh, in fantasy settings that aren't in that specific IP. Oh, yeah, for sure. I think that the Amber works well for what it is because it is an established IP and people that love the Chronicles of Amber love the Chronicles of Amber. Uh, I only read the first book myself, uh, so I know a little bit about the Chronicles of Amber and that makes me more interested in this gaming system in general, but I don't know everything about it. I would still think I would have fun with the system and I still think that the system could work in other things. So yeah, I think that, uh, yeah, it just kind of depends on the game you're looking at and the can of mechanics that work. I think some work better than others. 
Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. All I got to do now is figure out what I'm going to name my existential dread game that's based on the boggle mechanic. Oh, no. Yeah. That's it's a dice game, but <laughs> you, you, I feel like you have less sway on the dice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, we'll see. Well, until then, I guess. <laughs> and when he does this, be, don't worry, we'll be sure to cover it. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> but for now, I've been Tyler. And I've been Richard. And we've been True, True Strike. Strike. Hey, adventurers. Thanks again for joining us today. Please be sure to give us a follow on your favorite podcasting platforms and YouTube. If there's any questions you'd like to write into the show, you can hit us up on threads or Instagram. New episodes release every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern. Thank you for listening to True Strike. And thank you again to Mike for Monster Game Night Podcast. You rule, Mike.